0: had a big day yesterday. We got our oldest daughter married off yesterday, and it was kind of a long day, you know. Started early and went through the day into the night. Get home thinking everything's okay, and then we get a call. I missed a certain pair of shoes or whatever, so I had to go all the way back down to Montgomery. <laughs> Take some shoes, and they're on a flight to Hawaii. But I was thankful for uh, a good day, a good wedding. Weather held out, so that was a great thing. And uh, so that's a hard thing for a dad to do to get away his daughter. You know that? You walk that aisle sound like it's about two miles long with all the people in there, you know. So it gets longer when the time comes, it wasn't rehearsal. But anyway, the Lord was good. He got me through it because I needed it. I had to have some prayer for that. But anyway, everything's great. We gained the son of and loss, so I'm glad some of y'all's ever come to come and uh, thank y'all for coming and being part of that wedding for Morgan and Dylan. Sheltered in the arms of God. <laughs>
1: Thank you, Jim. Sometimes, the deepest, most fierce battles happen in the most serene of places. If you've ever been to Gettysburg or Normandy, you know what I'm talking about. What was once a peaceful field, a calming beak became drowned in blood. I imagine that Gethsemane, a garden on the Mount of Olives, was quite a serene place. Named after an oil press, the garden contained an olive orchard. Probably probably looked a little bit like this picture. Martha, if you'll pull up that picture. It must have been a favorite place of Jesus. Luke tells us, that he went there a lot. In fact, it was his custom to go there, the way Luke puts it. And John tells us that Judas knew exactly where to find Jesus because on many different occasions, he had met with his disciples in this place. A serene place that would become ground zero for a cosmic battle that would, in part, determine the fate of all humanity. Stand with me as we read God's Word this morning. We will be in Mark chapter 14. If you don't have your Bible, we have Bibles in the pew in front of you. You can look on page 1172 to find the text we'll be reading this morning. Mark 14, 32 through 42. This is God's Word, and if you let it, it will change your life. And they went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here Father, drive your word deep into our hearts this morning, that we may learn from you, not just a learning that happens in our heads, put your word into our heads and into our hearts and into our lives, so that we may put it into our words. And into our actions. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I cannot imagine the pain that Jesus is going through. The fierceness of the battle waging within his heart in this serene garden. Look back at verse 33. And he took with him Peter, James, and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. Greatly distressed and troubled. Think about what he's going through at this moment. He knows that he's moments away from being betrayed and arrested. He knows that his disciples' lives are going to be turned upside down. They'll be afraid. They'll scatter. He knows that Of these three men, James will leave, Peter will deny, and John will be left with the aftermath, consoling his mother. He knows the intense pain, the raw anger, the deep loss that his dearest friends and closest followers will feel. He also knows the pain he's about to face. He will be beaten, spat upon, mocked, slapped, hung to suffocate with a horrifyingly slow agony. But even worse than the physical pain will be the weight of sin, every sin of every man, every woman, every boy, every girl heaved upon his shoulders. And perhaps even worst of all, he will be alienated from the Father. I cannot imagine the pain of this battle. the pain that he must have felt among the serene olive trees lined up row by row. He tells his closest disciples in verse 34, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. We often talk about Christ like he's some rational figure that doesn't experience emotions. Theologians uh, picture God as being impassable, not able to feel emotions. Nothing could be further from the truth. The weight that Christ is carrying upon his heart must have drug him to the ground. Christ, right here, vulnerably expresses the emotional turmoil, the battle that's waging within him. He commanded these three disciples to do two things. Remain and watch. If you'll remember, these are the same three disciples that are up on the mountain with him when he's transfigured, when his glory is shining brightly and he's standing there And all the disciples saw this glory. These three disciples saw this glory firsthand. So it's fitting that the Lord of glory would also tell them to watch because in this moment, they would see his agony. I want to to make a point of this. You cannot know the Christ of glory without also knowing the Christ of agony. You cannot experience the glory of God revealed in Jesus Christ unless you see Him on that cross, unless you see Him in that garden. You cannot divorce the two. You cannot say that God is a God who rules and reigns and yet not also see that He is a God who suffered and died. You cannot see God's glory without also seeing His agony. Can I, can I also tell you that applies to us too? You cannot experience glory without experiencing something of an agony as well. And anyone who would preach differently is a false prophet. So this Lord of glory and agony in this serene place, goes off into intense battle. Verse 35 tells us, and going a little further, he fell on the ground. You ever been so overcome, you just fall? And prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, Father, All things are possible for you. This isn't the prosperity gospel of God can do anything and so I'll just wish whatever I want and it'll come to pass. This is a recognition of God's sovereignty over all of history. The Father can do as He wills. And Christ is battling that battle. The battle to follow the will of the Father. Listen to what he says. He says, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, yet, in this version, not what I will, but what you will. Christ shows the battle within. He wants to avoid what's coming, wouldn't you? But he also is unwilling to disavow the Father's will. This moment, this testing of an individual Faced with temptation in a serene garden. It sounds eerily familiar, doesn't it? Genesis 3, 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who who was with her. And he ate. The early church recognized this connection. When Christ prays this prayer, he is asking the Father for the strength to carry out his will. John Chrysostom, the golden mouth preacher from the late 3rd and early 4th centuries, or excuse me, late 4th, early 5th centuries, says this. By saying then, if it be possible, let it pass from me, he showed his humanity. But by saying, nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt, He showed his virtue and self-command. Listen to this. Teaching us even when nature pulls us back to follow God. That's where Adam failed. He failed. Even though he didn't have the disadvantage of a sinful nature, he still failed. He had the will of God and the propensity to follow it but instead he chose to succumb to the sin. Christ, even facing the fallen nature of humanity, perfectly fulfills the will of God by submitting to the Father's plan in spite of the raging battle, in spite of its sure agony. Christ does what Adam could not do. He resists the temptation. And he does so by saying, not my will. I know what I want. But it's not about what I want. Then he returns to the three disciples of his inner circle. Verse 37, And he came and found them sleeping. Isn't this like us? I could picture Jesus. <laughs> Simon, are you sleeping? Could you not watch one hour? Simon, the one who just a little bit ago, perhaps even an hour ago, I was telling Jesus, though everyone deny you, I will not deny you. Can't even stay asleep for an hour. Stay awake. Could Could you see it? Now, I'm not doubting Peter and the others here. I'd have been asleep right with them. But you know, there's an important part here. That's, that's our humanity on display. We're just, we're just not able. We couldn't live the life that God requires. We, that's why we needed a Savior in the first place. Jesus is asking Peter, so you're going to die for me? You're, go- you're not going to deny me? You're going to hold up who I am and your association with me, even if it means that you're going to die And yet, you can't even stay awake with me for an hour. We are so, so utterly incapable of fulfilling God's righteous will. So he tells them, watch. Same word. It's back in verse 34. Watch. But this time he adds a new command verse 38, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh, flesh is weak. Again, he tells them to watch, but this time to watch and pray. He recognizes their own inadequacy. They they, they can't do this. It tells them to put their trust in the Father. Do Do you remember? Look back in verse 36. Look at how he started the prayer. Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Jesus is modeling a dependence on the Father, both for them and for us. You see, only God has the ability to pull off this thing we call righteousness. Only God can actually accomplish holy living. We're incapable of it. But he is able. If we're to carry out God's will, we have to rely on his power. It's also true in the negative. Look back at verse 38. He says, The Spirit, or excuse me, yeah, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The whole purpose of this is to avoid the wrong. It's not just to do the right, but to avoid the wrong. And the reason we're to watch and to pray as well is to keep us out of temptation. Through the power of God, we can not only positively fulfill His will, but negatively avoid sin. <sighs> you know, sometimes we dive headfirst right into a sea of regrets. It's called submitting to temptations, don't we? But here's the kicker. Look at the last part of that verse. Pull it back up, Martha, please. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Now, I've always heard that in connection with temptation. Right? Oh, I want to follow God. I want to, I want to live a righteous life, but you know, this flesh, it's just so weak. I want to do it, but I'm just I'm just not able to. Well, that's right. It is. It's it's too weak. Both to do right and to avoid wrong. We talk a big game about how we want to follow God, but man, we're just not able. I keep stressing this because that's where the struggle is. That's where the struggle is. The humanity of Jesus makes him weak, just like us. But his divinity, God's nature and presence dwelling within him, overcomes that weakness. Without that godness, without that divinity, he couldn't have done it either. Humanity is utterly incapable. But God. But God. Do do you hear? The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You know what he's saying? He's saying you don't have to be weak. He's saying that through... God's power living and dwelling and working in you. You do not have to be that weak. The writer of Hebrews uh, tells us how Christ overcame the temptation. Hebrews 5, 7 and 8. In the days of His flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to Him who was able to save Him from death and He was heard because of His reverence. Now notice, He was heard, but He still went to the cross. It does not mean that just because you pray for deliverance, that God will take you out of the bad situation and put you in a nice comfy chair with all kinds of luxuries and all kinds of wonderful life. That's not what that means. God heard Christ and answered His prayer, but His prayer wasn't to get me out of this. It was to get me out of this, but not if it's not your will. God answered His prayer in the affirmative. By sending him to the cross. Verse 8. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. That that theme is picked up on Paul as well. Paul picks up on him. Him learning obedience. Listen to Philippians 2. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, he's the nature of God, did not count equality with God as something to be grasped. He didn't say, well... Since I'm God, I don't have to get my hands dirty. But emptied himself. By taking on the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men. And then here it comes. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient. If the Lord of glory has to become obedient, What do you think we have to do to the point of death and not just death, even a cursed death? It's in that serene garden that we see this humbling, this obedience that would lead to his crucifixion and eventually his resurrection. And it's here while the fierce battle is raging with temptations to abandon God's will. Not, not just one. Three separate times he goes off to pray. And I guarantee you, he's still praying, not my will but yours be done. It's here that we see Christ suffering not only as his agony, but also as his glory. In just two weeks we'll celebrate the resurrection on Easter Sunday. There's no Easter without a crucifixion, though. And the same holds true for us. If we are to experience new life in Christ, we must first die. If you want to live in God's power, got to die. That's where the battle hits us. Jesus said, if anyone was to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. If you want To have a new life, you must be willing to pray with Christ, not my will, but yours be done. I find it also interesting at the end of this passage, he comes to the third time and he says, It is enough. He's recognized that that part of the battle is over. He can see in the distance. Here comes some figures. Here comes his betrayer. It's almost as if he knows the battle. The battle has taken its turning point there's a point in every battle where you're not really sure who's going to win. But then something happens. Maybe it's a certain charge breaks through in a particular place. Maybe it's a delay of supplies and backup for one of the sides. Maybe, maybe it's a strategic hit on a specific target. For the guys in Normandy, it was getting rid of the gunners. You get rid of those gunners that are showering the beach. You can take this beach. I think Jesus sees this is the turning point of his battle. I'm not going to say it's all downhill from here. There's still a whole lot of fighting left to do. But it's almost as if he knows the battle has turned. It's enough. Here comes my betrayer. So the question for us is, will we do as he did? Will we pray with him? Not my will, but yours. When we face the temptations that are so easy to, to, to succumb to, that are so, look so alluring for the end of the struggle, Will we stand firm and say, I'm doing His will? Will we fight the battles through God's power to the very end? Pray with me. Father sometimes it's hard for us to submit to you because well it's really really hard we're humans we can't help it in in a lot of ways we have a nature that's been foisted upon us that bends us towards sin and god we've we've lived our lives in that sin god we also know because of your example in the garden, we know that that there's no way that we can possibly overcome it on our own. The Spirit is willing. Oh, but this flesh. So weak. God, we want to follow you. We want to do your will, but God, it's so hard. Would you give us the strength to say, not my will but yours. Would you give us the strength to clear everything else out of the way and to pursue what you want us to do? Would you give us the strength to talk to someone when we're so uncomfortable? Would you give us the strength to speak up when someone else is being wronged, abused, mistreated? Would you give us the strength to knock on a stranger's door and tell them the good news? Would you give us the ability to overcome our weaknesses? To win the battle, not by might, not by power, but by your spirit. Would you help us, Lord? Oh God, we need. Help us to follow you in this invitation and beyond. Invite us to know the power of your spirit dwelling within us. For those who who don't know you, God, I pray that they would surrender to you their hearts, their minds, their lives that you would take full control and lead them in your righteous ways. This is your time. You call the shots and help us to follow. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.